Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Hey, everybody. I'm excited you've chosen to join us for today's podcast. Now, before we get started, I want to encourage you to do a few things if you've not already done so. First, subscribe to the podcast. Wherever you're listening today, subscribe. This ensures you will never miss an episode. Second, if you're new to Redemption's Table, go back and listen to some of the incredible people we've talked to so far. And third, share Redemption's Table with your friends. I'm convinced we need to hear how a living Savior is actively at work in the lives of people today. Every single conversation at this table gives evidence of that. So subscribe, go back and listen to episodes you've missed, and invite your friends to come to the table as well. At the end of every table conversation, I click off the recorder and I ask my guests, who are three of the most redemptive people you know? When I met with Pastor Arthur L. Price Jr. a few weeks ago, and I asked him that question, Norman Askew was one of his three choices. Norman serves as the prison ministry assistant for the 16th Street Baptist Church in downtown Birmingham. He has an amazing grace story that is gritty and real. From the streets of crime and death to a vibrant walk of ministry and new life. Now, I do want to add this. Whenever we gather around a table where Jesus is the host, nothing is off limits. Redemption's table is a place where people are free to tell their story. That is one of the things I appreciate about the Bible. As was said back in the 70s, it lets it all hang out. It is raw. It is honest. That's called the truth. An unvarnished truth always sets us free. Meeting new friends like Norman is one of the many blessings I receive from doing this podcast, and I'm excited for you to hear his story today. So let's give it a listen. Well, welcome to Redemption's Table. I'm sitting here today with Mr. Norman Askew. Norman, welcome to Redemption's Table. I'm pleased to be with you. I, I, you're here today at the recommend, recommendation of your pastor, yes. Reverend Arthur L. Price Jr. Yes. Several uh-huh. weeks ago, he was uh, one of the guests on the podcast. Right. And one of the questions I ask whenever I finish the conversation, this is off the record, I always ask, who are three of the most redemptive people you know? And immediately, 
Reverend Price gave me three names. Yours was the second name he gave me. So right. thank you for being here. All right. I'm I'm pleased to be here. Anything to glorify God. Well, we're sitting in my office. I'm a chaplain two days a week at Brother Brian Mission, mm-hmm. and uh, you graciously came in to meet me here and. Yeah. We were going to have a tomato sandwich, or I was going to have a tomato sandwich. You just wanted fresh tomatoes. I feel yeah. like I was sitting, having lunch with Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> we just had a wonderful lunch. lunch right. Tell us about lunch. The lunch was great. Avocados uh, and tomatoes and spinach. Uh, one of my favorite dishes. It was fantastic, and I appreciate it. You're welcome. I love it, too. Yeah. I put I put a little lemon vinaigrette on mine. Yeah, a little sea salt on mine, and it was good, really good. Cause I've been that's one of my favorite dishes. I've been uh, eating that for a while. You called avocado? What you call it a moment ago? An avocado. Yeah, but what'd you call it? You said something about the avocado. And oh, I said that it was a miracle food. Miracle food. Yeah, it is. It works miracles in your brain and add. Uh, substance to your brain yeah it's a brain food yeah. I don't know about you but I need that I need that too especially <laughs> <laughs> in my old age <clears throat> yeah well I want to thank you for being here I sat down and visited with you to talk to you about doing the podcast yes. and you shared your story with me about yes. a week ago and that's uh, for our listeners those tuned in today I want to begin by your journey, talking about your journey, your journey of uh, to faith, uh, before faith, and so just share your life. Well, my uh, my life is uh, very uh, uh, complicated, you know. But you know how humans complicate things. Uh, I was born, and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, you know, I had. A parent to my mother and father was was good good people, you know. And uh, I had a problem with, with with reading and writing, and it frustrated my father to the point where, you know, he he just couldn't understand because my my brother was a student, you know, and everywhere he went, he made A's, you know. But I couldn't get get that down, so it frustrated him. So. Frustrating him frustrated me, so I just, I just shut down as far as education was concerned. So, I what started age? About what uh, age? Around, around 10, 11. Okay. You know, even when I was in grade school, uh, I couldn't function properly. Uh, but that didn't mean that I didn't have have something. But I just couldn't, couldn't nobody point it out to me. And uh, so my life started. My father took us to. Uh, started earning some money around 14, 15 years old. So he took us to Vestavia golf, golf course, golf club, in order for us to caddy. Yes, sir. So you can you can well, nine holes will get earn you a hundred, earn you a dollar twenty-five. So two bags you get, you know, you get your three dollars tip or something like that. So I started over there. So what we did was when we left there. We had a bus that we used to take home. I stayed between 1716 and 17th Street on the south side where UAB is now. So the bus, all the young guys that, that was go to Cali, I mean, they would come from all over the place. And they would, would, would tell us about downtown. So 
I began to go downtown, Fourth Avenue, Birmingham. Mm -hmm. and that's where all that actually it was the red light district. Okay. And I learned all of the trappings of Fourth Avenue: uh, prostitution, you know, confidence game, drugs, alcohol. I learned, you know, how to survive by by wits, you know, because I, I didn't have this education thing. So around 16, 17 years old. I began to sell uh, uh, marijuana. Uh, my mother had a boyfriend that would bring it from Mexico, okay. and we and he and, and, and since I didn't have an education, I grabbed up to that in order to make some money. So my life started it excelled into uh, going down that road, drugs, alcohol. Uh, I began to eighteen. I went to the penitentiary. Selling a can of marijuana to an FBI agent. Now, I was tricked to do that by a so-called friend of mine. So I started selling drugs and I went to prison, went to Atmo. He gave me a, a, a six-year sentence for selling that drugs. And I did about three years uh, in Atmo, uh, come out of there about two and a half, three years. And so I still couldn't function properly, so I went to come back to the street and started the same thing. You know, I couldn't, I had to try to, you know, uh, make some, some kind of ends meet. I was living that fast life, you have to, you know, ain't nobody gonna take care of you no more. You got to depend on your own wits in order to make money. So, so I learned everything needed to, needed to know in the street in order for me to take care of myself. Uh, my father uh, asked me to leave home. He put me out, I was 17, because uh, he asked me to do something in the house and I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that I was, you know, I could take a, man's, take a man to the bank and take his life saving in 15 to 45 minutes. So why should I mop a flow, mm -hmm. I thought. So he said, if you, can't, if you can't do what I tell you to do, you got to get out. So I took my little bags, I had two or three pair of pants, a couple of pair of shoes. I took those and I left home. Well, I never went back because I made the street my life. I made that, that my home. I made the people that I was surrounding myself with. I made those my families. You know, so I never went back. And I, I began to grow in crime, you know, from one stage to another. As you grow in crime, you also grow in into the trappings of, of that community. Yes. So I, I I grew into crime, you know, had a, some prostitutes, I, you know, selling marijuana, selling cocaine. So I became selling heroin. So I became addicted to my own product. So I began to snort cocaine and heroin. And first I began to do pills and cough syrup and stuff like that. Then I started shooting heroin and cocaine and I shot it for about 15 years. Okay. Uh, so when you're on drugs, you know, after a while drugs begin to drive you. It become, it become the very core of your living and it was my master. So whatever the drugs, whatever that I needed to do to get the drugs, then that's what I did. Uh, 
uh, so it's the same thing today. Yes, sir. You know, drug is a driving force of, of I say, 85, 90% of the crime that goes on in America. So what I did was I, I, uh, I got out of prison, started back selling marijuana, uh, graduated from marijuana to cocaine, heroin, started traveling, going to New York, Chicago, California. Uh, they used to ask me what, where I live, I would say in America, because it wasn't, it wasn't no, you know, no special place for me to live. I used to be one month in New York, a month in Chicago, a month in California or somewhere. So as I traveled, I learned other skills in, in how to break the law and how to become functional in, in, in those environments. See, you could find Birmingham in New York. Birmingham was in California. Birmingham was all over the places because people, because Birmingham, uh, uh, people come out of Birmingham that knew, knew how to hustle. So I always had some homeboys somewhere that knew what, what, what we had learned in the street they knew it, so I always had somewhere to go where somebody can help me, you know, to uh, get what I needed to try to make my life work. Well, it wasn't making my life work, it was just adding more and more to my life that would, would cause me to crash, really. I knew I was dysfunctional, and I couldn't function, I couldn't read and write, well, very little, and so, in traveling, you get one, go to one state, one, one, another, and I end up going to uh, Detroit. You know, I had a sister living in Detroit, and I had a lot of friends that were in Detroit. So, uh, and I met a young lady that was uh, that was on drugs, and she now she wasn't on drugs; she sold drugs. Mm -hmm. So her, she had killed her her her, her man. And, you know, because they, they handled a large sum of drugs. Her name was Brownie. So I took, uh, uh, she fell in love with me. So that gave me another uh, uh, way of making money mm -hmm. because she had connections. So from, from shoot, from 19, from 19, I come out of prison in, in 64. And I ran a course, and I got to, uh, got to, got to. When I got to Detroit, then man, it was like uh, you know all the drugs that you want was in Detroit, you know, especially when you when you knew that environment. So uh, if anybody had any drugs, it was somebody out of Detroit. So. When I met this young lady, and she gave me her connection, so that boosted my, you know, my notoriety, notoriety, notoriety. So after we got there, and you know, I, I, uh, I was gonna buy a flat there in in in, in Detroit. Well, that didn't work because uh, the drug drugs were so prevalent that I felt like that I need to, you know, to go on, try to find some other place to do it at. Right. So we left Detroit and I went to Indiana. 
And when I got to Indiana, uh, I was I was I had grown into this this destructive uh, individual who was on drugs, and but I I was a functional drug dealer, a functional drug user. Okay. So, and I still could use all my wits, you know, to make to make life work. Uh, so what what I did was I began to, to get notoriety in Indiana, you know, and and when I stayed with my sister there for a while, and uh, but that didn't last long because now I've met this woman, and what we gonna do? We gonna buy a flat. Mm-hmm. I had enough money. I'm making five or six thousand dollars a day, uh, so we gonna buy this flat. But I had got sick and tired of, you know, uh, breaking the law. Mm-hmm. I just got tired of taking people's money. I got tired of, uh, it, it just wore me down by this point. Right. Breaking the law, got to, you got to thank for, I, I didn't have anybody to thank for but myself, but when I met this woman, I got to thank for her too. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm limited in my resources and, and my abilities to do anything that was constructive. So it troubled me that I had a whole life in my hand, had two lives because she had a daughter. Mm -hmm. And I had this whole life in my hand and could not make life work for for her. And I met uh, my my, my baby's mom in, in Detroit and uh, I took my, I had a baby with me when I left uh, Detroit and went to Indiana. Okay. So when I got there, my sister's there, she's taking care of the baby. And, but my whole thing was trying to make sense out of this life. I got this child, just responsible for this child. I got another lady. I've already sent one woman to my baby's mom she got six years in prison. So now I got another woman, I got to take responsibility for her and I got to go see my baby's mom. It's piling up. So it's piling up on me, it's piling up on me. And so I decided that, man, I can't make this work. And I know it was God dealing with me because it was a time when I could have been killed, you know, because, uh, the environment I was with, the environment that I was in, I, I, after my after my baby's mother went to the prison, went to prison, I was in the house by myself, <clears throat> and uh, I, I invited some friends of mine from Alabama to come and stay with me, and, and that was a killer with them, you know. And I'm looking at this dude like, shoot, man, I. I go to sleep, this dude might rob me or anything, kill us all in the house. So I forgot move me, I can feel his move and and you know because I was really broken about my life. Excuse me, so so after I I uh, some time passed and uh I had a pipeline of drugs. I had lots of dope. And I asked my brother, I said, man, I need somebody to help me sell these drugs, you know? And he introduced me to a guy. 
And the guy, because I was out of Alabama, thought that I was a pushover. Okay. And uh, he tried to, what he did was I, I fronted him about $5,000 worth of drugs. I just had that much dope. It didn't make no difference. I just needed somebody to help me get rid of it. Because I'm new in Indiana, I, I, you know, and I'm tired anyway of this stuff. So I'm trying to just get rid of it. So, and I could play the confidence game. I could walk a dude in the bank, take his life saving in 15 to 45 minutes. I wasn't, you know, I'm not boasting about that because I was also tired of just hurting people. Right. You know, I just got sick and tired of my life. So, God got a way of uh, turning you, you know. And uh, so uh, this guy began to, uh, you know, to take my drug, take the drugs from me. Well, you know, he took 2500 I said, man, you know, you don't need to take, take anything from me. I said, we, I got enough dope, you know, we can get, get rich. If, if, if you just, I said, I'm going to let you have that. Let's do it. Let's. I'm gonna give you another twenty five hundred, so let's do it right. Mm -hmm. So he said, "Okay." So I gave him another twenty five hundred dollars worth of drugs, and so, and he confronted me one day when I asked for my money. He said, "I ain't gonna give you nothing." Well, I come up from from the streets of Alabama, Birmingham, and that was not what you do to a guy come out of the ghetto in Birmingham, and uh, so we. Uh, we got into it, and I went to his grandmother because I was trying, I was helping them too. I say, listen, tell uh, Paul to give me, you know, give me my money. I said, he don't know what he's doing. And she said, these are her exact words. He was coming down the steps, and she looked at him and said, I told you, you had to get up early in the, in the morning to trick that nigga. You know, so she gave me a clue of what he's gonna do the next morning. Mm -hmm. But standing right there, I, I I determined that she was helping him to do what he was doing to me. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so but they didn't know I played the con game. I can look at a man's shoe and tell how much money he had in his pocket. Mm -hmm. So I heard what she said. And I went with it. I knew that the next morning he's going to be getting up early. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, the devil had it like that. There he is getting up early. I had two guns. He had showed me the, previously, the morning bef before that, he had showed me that he had two. Mm -hmm. He opened up his coat and let me say, see here? I said, yeah, I see what you got. You know, So that tells me that whenever uh, if he thought that I was going to get out of line, then he had something for me. Right. So I, the next morning I got up early, and sure enough, he come out the door real early. And when he saw me, I don't know whether he was going for his guns, or he saw me, but he turned, and before he can do anything, I had fired on him. And, and when he, when I shot, I thought I would use uh, pistol, mm -hmm. but I didn't. I put the pistol down and used a shotgun because I was ignorant of 
you know, I say, if I shoot him with this gun, it's 38, I'm gonna kill him. Mm -hmm. And I say, I'm just gonna sp spray him with these buck shots. But they were bird shots, yeah. you know, and I didn't know the difference. So what happened was I, 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 uh, I, I fired that gun and that was the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. It never bothered me that I was a lawbreaker until that point. When I shot that gun, uh, because I, I knew he had them pistols. If he never showed me them pistols, I'd have never pulled that, I'd have never shot that gun. But I knew that it was gonna either be me or him, you know, and that's how street life is. You know that you can't call the police and tell the police that somebody took $5,000 worth of drugs from you. So the thing is, is, is street justice. And that's what's going on today. Everybody got the street justice, you know, right. that's been going on, you know. So with street justice, you're gonna make some stupid moves, you're gonna make some bad choices. And because after all, you, you, you're caught up in that environment. You don't have no, no, no rules. There's no rules for the street. Right. You know, the rules are you either do me or I do you. Those are the rules on the street, you know. So I live by that code. So the thing is, I live by that code, but I still had, God had not given me over to myself yet. Right. He still kept a conscience in me. And I didn't allow, God didn't allow my conscience to be sealed because I did some awful stuff, you know. I did some awful stuff out of ignorance and selfishness and, and all that. Was that moment the catalyst? That, that moment, that moment was the catalyst. Okay. Driving off from that scene, I saw this guy's shirt turn red all at once. Mm -hmm. I tore his chest up. And when I was leaving the scene, I asked God, I said, Lord, please, don't let this man die. And I left and I got home and I cut on the television. There he was laying in a field. Mm. Now he got my name and all that in his, in his, in his uh, notes and his billfold. And, and his grandmother knew me, so I packed my bags and went to New York. I tried to hide in New York. I knew that I could hide. I, I know guys that knew you've been in New York 25, 30 years and done stuff down here and never get caught. They live on the ground. I knew I could get away, you know, but God wouldn't let me stay here. He would always, every time I tried to go somewhere to hide, he would run me out of that situation, you know, chase me out of that. I was, when that dude died, I died. All my life, I, I just was raised that if somebody violates you, you got to stop it. You got to take his head off. If he tries to take yours, you got to take his. You got to do it first. You know, that was my, that was the way I was raised. Yes, sir. Because I left home, all my, my environment, that's what I was taught in the environment. Mm -hmm. That if, if somebody violates you, man, you got to hurry up. Yes, sir. Take care of business. So, and that's what I did there. I, I, I had people in New York, Chicago. I left Indiana with my baby and went to, uh, went to the, the Chicago, 
Stayed in Chicago a while, then I left Chicago, went to New York. Well, when I went to New York, you know, I could play the confidence game. Mm -hmm. So I had a friend of mine up there, and we, we took $600 from a dude. And he said, well, no, I'm going to you 300 bucks, man, so you can go where you want to go now. I said, all right. So I tried to get away with that $300, want to do something with that $300. I couldn't, hmm. couldn't leave, couldn't leave New York. I left twice and had to come back, hmm. left and come back. But when I when I violated and, and, and took that dude's life, God dealt with me royally. Hmm. I could not sleep. That's the first time I ever was in a fight or uh, in something and had a conscience about it. Hmm. That dude died, I died. Took me about six months, and it felt like God had a torch held to my soul. I was absolutely in so much pain. Then I knew I was going to prison. My mother called me and said, I called her and she said, you know they got a, a shoot the kill out on you. Say so the FBI are gonna kill you if you flinch when they catch you. They're gonna shoot you because they they believe that you're dangerous. That you're dangerous. So I called the FBI and I say hey, I'm gonna give myself up, but not now. You know, cause they left a number. I said I'm gonna give myself up, but not now. Well, I was trying to get my baby situated and all that stuff before I turn myself in. But God got away of uh, well, his own time. Yes. He had, I had ran my course and he began to deal with me and there was so much pain after, after that dude's death until I just couldn't bear it. You know, so he I was. He been closing on me. Okay. So I was laying up in my bed. I had two girls, and uh, they had some money. They had went out and made some money and come back. and And uh, I said, "Give me this money. I'm going to get me some drugs." But the night before, I had a dream of how I was going to prison. Hmm. I saw it in color. Wow. And I took that money. And as soon as I come out the door, I saw that dream. Exactly like I saw it in my dream. I saw the reality of it. And when that guy, when the FBI said, all right, Norma, drop, drop your gun. Put your hands up. I did. Put my hands up. He put me in the car. And I said, man, I'm sure glad it's over. I was relieved that it was over and that was God giving me a vision the night before letting me know that don't panic. Mm -hmm. This is how you go into jail. Wow. So they took me, they, they, uh, they uh, put me in the car, took me to MCC. Uh, that's the federal holding unit okay. in New York. And from there, the people from Indiana came and got me. Law enforcement from Indiana came and got me. And they brought me back to Indiana. I come back to Indiana, I was broken. And listen, I'm telling you, 
I had lost all my teeth. I had lost my, I was bleeding out of my behind. My stomach was, was had knots in it like that. Balls of knots in my stomach. I was absolutely broken. And, and after, after uh, uh, in that jail is where God started dealing with me. I was sitting in the lowest position after I got in that jail. And I was broken and I was crying out to God. The only prayer I knew was the Lord's Prayer. And that's, that's the Lord's Prayer, my father taught me that. The Lord's Prayer is really, I've, I've learned that it's really not a prayer, it's a model for how to pray. You know, and, uh, but I prayed that prayer. I was praying that prayer, you know, our Father, which I in heaven, I was praying that prayer. I prayed it all day, every day. And, and uh, I was sitting in the Lord's position on the floor of this jail, Marion County Jail. And God uh, broke my heart. He let me know it was him who had his hand on me. And I needed to repent. So I sat there on that floor, man. Uh, I sat down on that floor, Robert, I'm telling you. I had an encounter with God. These were my words. And I remember them plainly. Wash this blood off my hand. Let these hands give life instead of death. Wow. And I had an encounter with God right away. As soon as I said that, things changed, man, in my mind, in my heart. And I was, I was playing casino with a guy, and he and I was cussing each other out. But after we got through playing those cards, I sit on that floor when I asked God to wash the blood off my hand. I had an encounter with him right there. The very words that I was speaking previously, I couldn't stand to hear them anymore. Wow. What year was this? That was in 80, no, it was in 81. And I couldn't stand to hear cuss words anymore. I could it was like it was like I was having a war in my soul, mm -hmm. and I couldn't understand it. Mm -hmm. All the while I was in that county jail, I was having this war in my mind. But I felt God cleansing me. Mm -hmm. I felt Him. It was like a war inside of me, and someone was tearing mm -hmm. my soul up. Yes, sir. God was moving. Those demons, that the demonic forces out of me, and the Holy Spirit was entering into me. So I felt that. I, I had that encounter with him. And when I got to prison, I only understood it until I got to prison. I was in torment. I thought I was going crazy until I got to the penitentiary. And it took me about, about 10, 11 months in the county jail for them to send me to prison. And when I got to the penitentiary, I went to court and the judge says, uh, said, the DA asked for 60 years because here's a gangster that done come over here in Atlanta and killed one of our citizens. And uh, the judge said, no, so I know that citizen. So I ain't gonna give him no 60 years. She gave me 40 years, uh, Judge, Judge Patricia Gifford. 
I had already done about seven years in Alabama. Okay. And uh, Miss Miss Gibson, Patricia Gibson, she gave me forty years. And when she gave me that forty years, I felt a peace. I went back to my cell, and I said these words. I said, "Man, you're gonna have to do these forty years, or they're gonna do you." And I come to that conclusion. That meant to me that I needed, I had given, a, I had been given another opportunity to make life work. So I started when I when she said 40 years, I got my GED. I began to go to school when I was in prison. I got my GED and then we started doing some college courses. And I couldn't read and write when I went in prison, but I come out of that with an associate degree. So, so, and it was uh, it was in biblical studies and and secular education. Yes, sir. So the biblical study was was God's grace, mm -hmm. so that the professors from Grace Seminary they come in from from from, from uh, about seven about twenty some miles away, and they came into the prison, and I can see God working and teaching me through the Word of God about. What he, who he was, and what Christ had done on the cross, and and and, and that I was forgiven, and, and and you know, and then the the scripture that really set me off was that if any man in Christ, he become a new creation. New creation. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Man, I jumped for joy when I heard those words, and it was a guy named Odie Webster. He was sitting there with me, and I knew what that meant, that I can be given another chance. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, I said, what do this mean, man? I said, does this mean that God will change me, that I become a new person? He said, every bit of that is what they're saying. And that hell on to that, that if any man in Christ, he become a new creation. The old things are gone. Behold, all things become new. And I jumped for joy. And after I began to understand that the forgiveness of God, then I began to understand my duties as a human being, and not to take life, but to give life. That's why I said to God, wash this blood off my hand. Let this hand give life instead of death. And he honored my prayer because now I give life. Yeah, I want to. Well, I, your pastor said you're involved in prison ministry. Yes, I, I'm. In, I'm involved in prison ministry because that's where I got saved. At. You shared your story. You're sharing your story with other men. Other men, how to turn to Christ. Who who I, are where? Who are I, now? I, where, where I you used were. to be. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh -huh. And I we I got a group that I'm just starting in the projects. And uh, I've been doing this, I've been out since 96. Uh, you got I, out earlier. Yeah, I got out earlier than the judge said for me. Got, and she cut my time 10 years. And that was all God getting me. I got out just in time, out of prison, just in time to get a job. Well, now I'm retired and I can get benefits. Wow. You know, so. Perfect timing. Perfect God's timing. Perfect time. God's perfect timing. So. Uh, now that's what I do uh, daily. Uh, that's uh, I stay before God all day. 
I prayed this morning, God, what you what, what are we gonna do today? Yeah, what are we gonna do today? Uh, what do you want me to do? Yes, sir. And I go to the courts, and right away the judges say, Yeah, I must ask you. I'm gonna send this young man to your group. I want you to. Uh, I want you to do with him, and all of them know my record. Mm -hmm. You know, I can go, I can take this badge right here and go inside the jail mm -hmm. and talk with him face to face. Normally, no man like with my record can go into the jail. Mm -hmm. But when God opened my door, nobody can close it. <laughs> Amen. When he closed one, can't nobody hold it. Yeah. yeah. So my life, from I was going on 40 years old when this took place. And God knew what he had instilled in me. When he told Jeremiah, said, I knew you before you was in your mother's womb. So he knew me like that too. And he knew all of us like that. And he knew what my beginning and my end and my future is in his hand. So because I accepted Christ as my Savior, God changed all the dynamics of my life. And now I'm living that born again experience. I'm living it now. And you, you know, you see it even in I a smaller detail as the meal we just participated. That's right. That's uh, right. That uh, healthy. Uh, yeah, I got the I got a chance to, to meet good brothers like you, and and I, every day God put somebody in my life that that uh, maybe I can impact their life. They can impact mine, and you have impacted my life by doing this you know this is all a part of God's plan yes sir. you know he is absolutely sovereign he is he's in control man he he's all powerful all knowing everywhere present uh, you know he's right here with us now yes sir yeah he brought me down here. yes sir yeah. he did <laughs> yeah. yes so and I'm glad so, he did yeah me too I am too and every day uh, I remind myself relax in his sovereignty just relax practice God's presence because he's everywhere present. You got to practice it. What I mean by that is, you got to know that he is, that he's right here. Everywhere present means that he's, he's never, I'm never out of his sight. Right. He walk with me, talk with me all day. Even when I'm sleeping, he's watching over me. Yes, sir. You know, that's the power that God's have. That's his sovereign. That's his his essence, you know, I was reading the other day that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. That's saying that God's, God's absolute moral principles is light. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anybody I can get to, I want to tell them about this experience I had with our Creator. And He is absolutely, and Jesus said it, said it, and it resonates in my mind all the time that God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. And it's John 3.16, John 3.17 said, he didn't send his son to the world to condemn us. Yeah. And that's what I tell God, God is not angry with you. He know you can't do no better. Yeah. yeah. He sent it to his son into the world to save us, save us from the power of sin, the penalty of sin. One day he's gonna save us from the present of sin. Yes, sir. That is absolutely the truth. Yes. I want to ask you one final question. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, if you could sum up your life in a single word or a single phrase, what what word? What what phrase? Absolutely amazing. 
absolutely amazing. That's the grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. How sweet the sound. Save a wretch like me. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I sometimes I pinch myself, you know. I sometimes I cry because his love is so pure and it's so good. He's so forgiving and he's long suffering with us. He's long suffering, you know. He he is so long suffering that you actually you be questioning yourself when you're out there sinning. You know, because I thought that I was gonna die. I say, shoot, I would just tell my friend, man, I ain't gonna be around here long. I'll be seventy seven years old, uh, this month, the twenty seventh of this month. Wow. So God had a plan and I'm living it out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. Hey, I appreciate it. I always want to be able to give my testimony. I want to glorify God with my life. That's my whole thrust for living, you know, just to tell somebody that you don't have to stay in, in the condition you're in. God got a plan for your life. Yeah. He got a plan for all of us. Yeah, and we are, we carrying it out. Well, you, you are, and uh, I am. You know, God willing, we'll keep on. Yeah, we keep on. Yeah. yeah. I, on some day, during the summer, I'm going to get some fresh tomatoes, and I'm going to pick up an avocado, and I'm going to pick up some more spinach, and I'm going to bring some more fresh spring water for yeah, Apple, and yeah. I'm going to call you and say, call hey, me. you want to come out and have lunch? Yeah, so, call me. Yeah, uh, I do it. Yeah, I do it. That's yes, That's good stuff. Yeah. You know, I, we ain't talking about heroin and cocaine. No, no. Yeah, we ain't cutting up no dope. No. <laughs> you know, yeah, no. we cutting up what God created yeah. uh, for our health and our strength. Yes. You know, now I'm able to go into the gym two or three times a week. And at 77, you know, I work out an hour, you know, and uh, it's amazing. And I shot heroin and cocaine for 20-something years. Yeah, when you told me how old yeah, you were, yeah. I'm like, you do not look like you're yeah. 77. It's grace. It's grace. grace. Absolutely grace. Amazing grace. That's, that's it. God so loved us so much. You know, he'll bring tears to your eyes yeah. sometimes when you think about the goodness of God. He's flat out good. He's flat out good, yes, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Norman. You're welcome. My pleasure meeting you. My pleasure meeting you, brother. God I'm, bless you. And yes, I sir. Hope and I said something that would help somebody else. I bet I'm I'm willing to because God's sovereign. I'm willing to know, not willing to know. I know you did. So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna so. tell those who are listening. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next Monday morning right here at the same place. Uh, you'll hear the call, party of redemption. Your table is now available. God Amen. bless you. Y'all have a great day.